Okay, tonight uh, I'm going to, uh, this is actually the first time I've been up here since, uh, since our journey began. And uh, I was in the book of Romans, and I'm going to pick up on the book of Romans next month. But tonight I thought I'd give everybody a little bit of uh, uh, information about what God has done. And it's not at all about me, although I have to talk about me, but it's not all about me. Um, The only reason why I say that was because if it was up to me and my strength, I would have never got through it. I was a a wreck. (laughs) And the only thing that held me together was my Lord. And I will never forget him for as long as I live that. And he is part of each one of my thoughts every single day now because he's given me that change in attitude and ability to know that uh, I belong to him now. Um, Every part of me belongs to him. And he can do with what he wants with me, whatever the case may be. And I, I remember studying a little bit about uh, the Apostle Paul and him mentioning that. And we know Paul lived his life after that Damascus Road incident, lived his life for Christ, no matter what happened, whether he got beat up, thrown in prison, whatever the case may be. And uh, I have to say that that was just about almost a change that I made too. Uh, because in actuality, I was dead at a certain point in time when they took my heart out and I was living by a pump. And uh, the Lord allowed me to live and to come back to life. And the funny part about it, and then I'll, I'll get to uh, Psalm 20. This is the best part about the whole thing. <clears throat> I asked the doctor how they got the new heart pumping again. And I said, do you, you know, kind of prod it or hit it with electric? Or He says, no. He says, that's, that's the thing that makes me keep coming back. He says, he, uh, he's done over 1,500 heart transplants. And every single one of them happened the same. And he said, when they hook up all the tubes and everything after, and they take the clamps off and the blood starts flowing, the minute the blood hits the heart, it starts pumping on its own. Something that science can't explain. We can explain it because we know we have a God that does that. And the life is in the blood is what it is. But uh, he, he, he keeps going back for that. In fact, he even mentions it to his students when he teaches about how that happens and how it occurs. So that was really, that was really astonishing to me. And it's a God thing, and we all know that. But um, there's a lot to tell, and obviously I don't have the time. My wife and I are trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to get the message out about the Lord, about what the Lord did for us. Uh, and, And not necessarily us, but what he did. And he gets the glory no matter what. Um. One of the things I'd like to go over tonight would be uh, Psalm 20. So if you have your Bible and you want to go to Psalm 20, Psalm 20 was a psalm that uh, the Lord, uh, when I was in the hospital and I was pretty distraught about having to wait, uh, 
I started reading in the Psalms and I got to Psalm 20 and he definitely showed me that this was the Psalm that I was supposed to stop and to really concentrate on. The funny thing about it was is it fits in for everything that's happened. And I found that out when I got home and I did a little bit of a study on Psalm 20. And Psalm 20 basically is a, a basic psalm for a multitude of people praying, praying to God. And I, I am so thankful for all the prayers that came out of our, our church and our congregation. Um, I have pastors visiting me and, uh, from here. Um, it was just amazing. It was awesome. But the thing of it all was the prayer was the most important thing. And as I lay there in, in the hospital room, I could feel the prayers. I could feel those prayers crashing the walls of heaven and getting God's attention because it did. And, and, and it was just amazing. I had three churches praying for me, all my friends, relatives, um, people I didn't even know. There were homeschool, home Bible study groups from North Ridge that were actually praying for me, and I got cards from people that I don't even know who they are. I've never met them before, and it was just awesome. I had a, a mission in South Africa that was praying for me that was connected with someone from one of the churches, and they were praying for me, and uh, <laughs> it was just overwhelming and amazing. But basically, that's what Psalm 20 is all about. It's about the multitudes that pray. And there was a reason why they prayed in this particular uh, psalm. So I'm going to go read the psalm, and it's kind of short, but I'll read it. And then I want to give a little bit of an explanation about what I learned about it. Uh, so it's, it's named the Assurance of God's Saving Work, which, is, uh, <laughs> which was powerful what I was going through. So it says, uh, verse 1, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners, which refers to already having a victory before it even starts. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord, our God. They have, borrowed, they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. So I read that, and I got to that, and I stayed at that psalm 
for the rest of the time I was there. When my wife came down to be with me, uh, she did the same thing. When I came up from the operating room, I was sleeping for three days. I was under drugs for three days. And she read this psalm to me morning, noon, and night. And we stuck with this psalm forever, as long as we were there. And then when I got home and I, and I realized that it's a psalm for groups, for multitudes that are, that are praying. And David wrote this psalm, and it's, it's although, although the psalm is a name, uh, is named the same as the others, it's different in context because it's the voice of a multitude that prays on behalf of the king of Israel. Not that I'm a king, but what they did was they prayed in unison. And that's what all these churches were doing. They were praying in unison. And when I really tell you, and I felt that prayer, it, it, it really, it was really something different for me because, you know, you would think to yourself, I never feel prayers, but I felt it. I felt that God was being, um, God, God was being reminded and not told anything that he didn't know, but he was being reminded from us. And we know that that's what prayer is all about. It's about us communing with him, but us learning from him is what it is. It's all about getting to know him. And that's why we pray. And we pray to him for things, and we pray to him for help. And in this point in time, <clears throat> I, needed, I needed lots of help <laughs> because there was nothing else I could do. Uh, in verse 1 through 5, the people prayed in unison for the king, which speaks of the first person. It says, we or you. The people are encouraged in verses 6 through 9, where the king itself is Jehovah King, Jehovah God. He is the king. So the anointed king, David, was the very life breath of the nation. That's the way the Jews looked at it and the Israelites, for their king was their actual life blood and their, and their breath. This was a picture of how we are children of the Almighty God. We are his life and breath among the nations right now. Uh, Rob, uh, Pastor Rob talked this morning about how the church needs to stand up and we need to get stronger when things get worse in the, war, in the world. We need to get stronger because we are God's life's blood. We're, we're his breath. In Job 33.4, it tells us that the breath of God is the, Holy, is the spirit of God and the breath of the Almighty gives us help. He puts that breath into us. He told us that in Genesis. Everything else he created, when he gets to a human being, he breathes into the human being. And that breath is in us. <clears throat> Since the Spirit of God lives inside the believer, each person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has gone, has ongoing direct access to the breath of life that will help them live abundantly. That's what we mean about getting saved and living and 
being blessed abundantly, we end up with God's breath in us, his Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. The king, back in the Jewish days, in, in, in the, the, the early part of the Israelites, the king was considered the lamp of Israel. And the enemy would consciously target the lamp to snuff it out. Just like the enemy does with us nowadays. We are God's light. We are God's breath. And he constantly works to snuff us out. Especially those that, the believers, the ones that have the Holy Spirit within us. He constantly acts. During the time I was at the hospital, there was a lot of that going on. Uh, I can remember waking up in the morning and uh, tears to my eyes after a couple of weeks thinking that I'm going to be here for a long time and I just don't want to be here. I mean, I, I even had thoughts about <laughs> getting up in the middle of the night and taking the pump with me and leaving the hospital, okay? But here I'm, I'm in Manhattan. How would that have worked out, okay? Probably would have had somebody come by and steal the pump. <laughs> but fact of the matter was is it was the enemy working on me not to be faithful and I tried so hard to just kind of stay away from that to pray and I, and I would pray and uh, there was a song that I sang I actually sang a song to the Lord every time that I started feeling that way and every time that I thought that I had to go through some type of pain because I don't think that I've I don't think that I've been poked and prodded as much as I did then. Um, the song was uh, that I loved Jesus, and I would sing it to myself. And I'm not going to sing it here tonight, but I, I would sing it to myself that I love you, and I need you, and I always loved you, and and I I want you to be with me, and. Um, <laughs> It was, it was uh, just amazing because every time I sang that song and I had to either get a shot or a poke or they had to stick a tube in me someplace, it never hurt. It never hurt. It was just amazing. It should have, but it didn't. And it was just amazing. So what they did with, uh, with uh, uh, getting back to the consciously targeting the lamp, what they did with David in... Uh, 2 Samuel 21, 17, what they did was take him out of the battle. And they told him that, you know, if, if you get killed in the beginning, all there's going to be is chaos because they take the leader out. That's the best thing to do. So they told him to stay home. Um, in 2 Samuel 21, 17, it says, but Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. We can quench the lamp of God. 
um, when we quench the light, God's light and plan by getting in the way. There are certain things in certain times, and I've been involved in a couple of ministries for a while, so I know that God's works on people, tries to bring them around, tries to bring them back to him, or tries to get him to start again. <clears throat> Sometimes when we do too much for somebody, we're stepping in the way of God. And we can, we can douse that lamp that God is trying to put up for them to see. So we have to be really careful sometimes with that. Um, we, we like to be involved. We like to do things, especially if we love the Lord. We like to do things for him. Okay. Trust me, he doesn't need our help. <laughs> He'll ask for it once in a while just to see if we're dedicated and to see if we're obedient but he doesn't he doesn't need our help <laughs> he can do it all on his own which which is a good thing because we know that when, when he asks us to help he loves us and he wants us to get involved and that's the biggest thing um, second chronicles 20 15 and 17 uh Judah went to battle with Ammon and, uh, and Moab, the Ammonites. And they came to battle with Judah. And this, uh, this section of scripture I love because it gives us an idea about what our involvement is on this. When he's trying to help us out and he's doing things. Now I had to wait six weeks in the hospital for a heart. I had, most of you know I had two false alarms. That was even more depressing. <clears throat> and he asked me to wait, to wait on him, to wait on the Lord. I mean, that's, we, we listen to that and we hear that every day, all the time, wait on the Lord. And uh, it was very difficult. And if I have enough time, I'll get to that little section there. But um, this, <laughs> this scripture really helps. It says, and he said... Listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. My battle was with God. I mean, my battle was God's battle. There was nothing I can do. The minute they put you under and you're sleeping, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Nothing you could do about it. You're at their mercy. But mostly, I thought I was at God's mercy. So whether or not I came out of the operation or I died and went to heaven, I was a winner no matter what, either way. And, and I thought about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they told, uh, when they told the king, look at <laughs> Our God's going to save us no matter what. If we perish, we still have faith in him, which tells me that they loved God for who he was, not for what he can do. And that really should be our attitude too, because he doesn't answer a prayer right specifically at the right time. It may take years to answer a prayer. But it took, uh, it took him... Six weeks to answer mine and to find the perfect heart. Now, this song that we played in the beginning, 
that was the uh, that was the uh, uh, quiet, small voice that came to me in the beginning when I first went to the doctor to find out that I was going to have to have a transplant. Um, it came to me right at home. I was looking in the mirror, and I heard that still small voice say, everything's going to be all right. And I heard it twice. And I walked out of the bathroom after, and I said, you know what? That was just me. I, that, that's what I wanted to hear. That's why I was hearing it. But it wasn't. And a few weeks later is when this song came up to my wife and I. And he confirmed it, that everything was going to be all right. He didn't know I had, I didn't know I had to wait six weeks in the hospital, hooked up to a pump, but I knew that it was going to be all right one way or the other. And I didn't know. Um, Abraham is a good example of that. We don't know. We just don't know. He makes a promise, but we just don't know when. Uh, and... <laughs> I guess that's the mysterious point, but that's also a stimulating point for our faith because we need to have that faith if we're going to wait, and we do have to wait and not step in the way. So <clears throat> the next verse, 17, it says, you will need to fight in this, you will, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. That's just awesome. Just watch the salvation. Sometimes when we're in trouble, we just need to sit back and watch our salvation. <laughs> watch it, and it'll go right by your face. You'll see it happen. And uh, he went on and it said, uh, um, who is salvation of the Lord, who is with you? O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or dismay. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So they were scared. They were going to lose, and they were outnumbered. But all they had to do was just stand there, and the Lord took care of it for them. I was scared. I was petrified. And I was thinking, you know, this is it. One way or the other, this is it. And I, I don't know. And doctors used to come in and talk to me, and I said, is this going to hurt? You're not going to feel a thing. Everything's going to be all right. We'll take care of you. We're going to make you a part of our family. And they did. They did. It was just amazing to watch it and see it. But it played out in almost like, compared to the way we think, a slow motion type of thing. Because it was God's timing. Uh, the covenant that God made with David assured him of victory over his enemies. Just like he gave us a promise of victory over ours. And we see that all the time. You know, we read it in the Bible all the time that we, all, we already have victory. If we're in Christ, we already have victory no matter what. But that human side of us says, if I'm not doing anything with it, how am I going to have victory? We have to wait. Just wait on the Lord. Uh, in this regards, David was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the commander of the Lord's army, who one day 
will ride in victory against the armies of the world. As believers in Jesus, we are part of that army. We are the army of the Lord. He stands with us now in times of trouble and is our King of kings and Lord of lords forever. And I was just so thankful that I could articulate and pray to God the way I wanted to. And I was truthful and honest to him and said, I'm discouraged. I'm not hearing anything. Hello, I'm here. I'm here, hello. Just nothing. Have faith. Have faith is what he probably was telling me that I didn't hear. Uh, This psalm describes three needs for victory as we, God's people, fight against forces of evil. There was one line here that I researched, and it says that Jesus is our Lord forever, just as a physician fights a battle against disease and death which is what I was going through. So our Lord wages a war against sin and evil, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I didn't realize until I really had a talk with the doctors while I was in the hospital that uh, I had about six months or a year to live before all of my organs were going to start shutting down. And that wasn't so much as surprising to me as I didn't feel anything. (laughs) That was the biggest thing. I just didn't feel sick. I I didn't feel sick at all. And then one thing about heart failure is that you don't feel sick. The only thing you feel is weakness and you lose your breath quicker. Like you ran around the block five times or whatever. But I never felt that pain. I never felt that uh, any issues at all whatsoever, which was very surprising. So the three things that we need to fight our battles is, uh, number one, a praying people. Um, (laughs) I couldn't ask for any more prayer. I mean, I, I just couldn't. From now on, when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I'm praying for you, it's, I get a different feeling than I used to. Um, you know, you're related that somebody's actually thinking about you and praying for you, but it works. <laughs> it works. Um, God listens and God hears. And it's, it's just, it's, just a, it's, a, it's an eye-opener for me. It works. So before, uh, what this psalm refers to is that before the army went out to battle, the Jewish law of warfare required the officers and soldiers first to dedicate themselves to the Lord. And this psalm speaks of such a dedication service, just as we should pray before every battle in our lives. And I don't think that I go maybe 10 minutes during the course of a day, every 10 minutes or 15 minutes without saying something to God, without saying something to Jesus. 
And I really do honestly believe now that he's standing right next to me, always. You know, I don't know if it takes other people to really feel that, but it took me to feel that, to understand that. And, you know, we walk around, as Christians, we walk around with a lot of cliches like, I love the Lord, yeah, the Lord's always with you, stuff like that. But do we really, do we really believe that? Do we really know that? And I was given the opportunity to, to, to change that attitude in me, in my heart, that I would, uh, I would know that. I mean, he was with me every step of the way. And then you might say to yourself, some people might say, you know, if, he, if he's with me, then why don't he heal me? He did. He did heal me in, in, in his own way. It's just amazing. And I can stand here and tell you now that uh, he's just, don't, just totally, totally changed my soul to, uh, <laughs> to not to worry as much about certain things and not to even bother um, trying to fix things when he's the one that needs to fix them rather than I. And I appeal to him all the time. And that's just the amazing thing. So when they got together and they, they, uh, they prayed in a group, um, it was more effective for them. Not only were the lives of the king and the army involved, but also was the glory of God. I mean, I thought about that too. What happens if this goes south? What are people going to think? What are they going to think about my Lord? He, <laughs> he doesn't need any help from me to avoid shame. <laughs> Trust me, he doesn't. But we think that way sometimes. Because I don't want anything to shame him. Shame me, yeah, okay. I've been shamed before. But shame him is something different that we don't think should happen. If we live in Christ, we don't think that that should happen. So it was a, uh, it was a day of trouble, but Jehovah is a very present help in trouble. In verse 1, the people prayed that God would answer the king's prayer and lift him up above the enemy to defend him. In verse 1 also, the God of Jacob is a familiar title for the Lord. It suggests that the Lord works on behalf of those who are weak and in special need. And this, this uh, Jacob here, uh, I, met a, I met an individual while I was in the hospital. They they called him up and uh, had him come and visit me. He had a transplant in August, and he was out back on his feet. And this was like late October. And uh, he was a Christian, and he's in charge of a 400-man uh, uh, Christian group in Florida. His home is in New York City, but he lives with his he lives uh, down in Florida, being close to be close to his mom and it was funny when he came in and he told me that uh, he was going through some of the same things that I went through and he says you just you just you're just not going to believe once you get through it and this was before the operation he says you're not you're just not going to believe the difference 
You're not going to believe the difference in your spiritual uh, habitat. Your spiritual life is going to be so different. And he was right. And he told me he found out the name of his, uh, his donor was Jacob. And I think Jacob, Jacob means God saves or something like that. And uh, he was in the process of getting a hold of the people, his family. Uh, this, his, his donor was 22 years old. Mine was 40. And he was in the process of getting hold of the family through the hospital to try to get them to meet and uh, just, you know, talk with each other and get to know each other. We're going to, uh, my wife and I are going to try to do that. Uh, they told us that we had to wait a year, but I'm going to keep kind of itching them. I even asked them, I said, if you could tell me the guy's first name, it's not going to bother anything. Because I told them, I says, the Bible puts an explanation on every name and defines every name. So if you would just tell me his name, his first name, <laughs> I can give it some type of correlation with the Bible. And they wouldn't do that. They just wouldn't do that. And it was, uh, <laughs> it, it's something that we're going to have to follow up, but that's going to be a good thing. And I'm hoping and praying to God that uh, the family at least agrees to see us. Uh, they're from North Carolina, which probably explains why I'm chilly all the time here. This guy was from North Carolina, <laughs> and the weather's so much better down there. But, um, so, it mentions the God of Jacob. It suggests that God works in behalf of those who are weak and are in special need. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Zion, God was enthroned among his people and would help them. His holy name was on the sanctuary, and because of that, his glory was always present. Today, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to us, we are his sanctuary and place of glory so that his light shines in the dark world. Because of this, he is enthroned with us, with, within his people, so that he's present with us and will never leave us. Um... I'm not going to be able to get to that, but this, uh, I read this, My Utmost is one of my favorite devotionals, uh, and I read it on January 23rd. If you do have that and you want to look it up, it's called Transformed by Beholding, and this kind of supports that a little bit, but the reference chapter was uh, um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Are being we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Holy Spirit of the Lord. So we know, we know that is occurring with us. We know that the, the Holy Spirit's in us. And we are being transformed so that the outside world can see that glory and that light in us. And we need to make that clear. You know, Jesus said, don't put, 
Don't put a lampshade over the lamp. Let it shine. Let it, let it shine. Never mind the shame and never mind what people think. Let it shine. Um, and that's all there is to it. It's really, it's really amazing that I have a different attitude about wearing sweatshirts now with scripture on them. I just have a totally different attitude about it. They can read it. If they don't like it, it's tough. <laughs> it's too bad. But maybe it'll spark something in them. Maybe it'll help. So that's the difference. There's a difference there. Uh, this, this means that we are assured that he will fight for us and be there when we need him during our trials. The central verse of the psalm is verse 5. And verse 5 says, We will rejoice in the salvation and in the name of our God who will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And by setting up our banners, again, he means we're going to set that victory banner up before the battle even starts because that's what's going to happen because God is going to make it right no matter what. And I really think that that's the way we should look at this world nowadays. We have a messed up world. We know that. We talk about it all the time. But we should look at that that way, that someday we're going to put that banner up of victory and he's going to come back here and he's going to protect and, and take care of us no matter what. And it's not going to fail. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. So number two, the Lord saves his anointed. The word anointed has a sense of being chosen. If we have surrendered to our Lord Jesus, we are anointed. Although God dwells among his people, his real domain from which he rules in heaven, he chooses to tabernacle with us through his son, Jesus Christ. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When we enter trials, God tells us that we have no need for human armaments. We don't have to defend ourselves at all. He will do that. He and his armies are more numerous and powerful than any human army. We know he has no need for human armament. That's why we are, are to trust in him and lean not on our own understanding. God's people don't boast in their own human resources, but in the God that directs them and guides them, who alone can serve, can save them in the very situation. We believe that, and that's, that's what keeps us going. That's our hope. Number three, we need a sovereign Lord. Verse 9 says, Save, Lord. May the King, capital K, answer us when we call. Verse 9 affirms that the Lord is sovereign because he hears our prayers and answers them. Trust me, he answers them. 
unless the Lord is king, there can be no victory. For the Lord is the great God, creator of the universe, and keeps and keeper of our souls. So whatever's emitting from our souls, he's the one that keeps it. And he's the one that helps it. The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. And in trouble, our Lord alone will determine the outcome. <laughs> it's, almost like, it's almost like I just started my life all over again. And I remember when I was a kid, I was kind of a mommy's boy. And I was a kid, I'd get in trouble and I'd run to my mother. Okay, my poor dad, he was always working, so I ran to my mother. And I almost feel like that again now, today, that every time I get in trouble or I feel that there's trouble someplace, I run to my father, my father in heaven. And, and it's, it, again, it's like a, just a total transformation of what I used to be. It's different. Um, I used to... As a police officer, I used to run towards trouble. And I used to have to take a situation and be the authority and take control. I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't have to do that because God does that. And that's what's so, that's what's so miraculous about it. Um, I did get a scripture one morning from my wife. <clears throat> And my poor wife, she was kind of going back and forth. We had things that needed to be taken care of at home, and uh, her mom needed to be taken care of, and she was moving back and forth from here, here to New York and back. And uh, while, she was, while she was at home uh, for a couple of days, she sent me this uh, scripture. It's Isaiah 60, 22, and it says, I, the Lord, will hasten will hasten it in its time. In other words, it's on his time and not anybody else's. Not even the doctor's time. It was just amazing because that's the way it happened. The other real awesome thing about it was when they did finally find the heart that was supposed to be mine, and it was good, he walked in the room and he said, we found the perfect heart. And that's what God had been telling me all the while, that it was going to be perfect. No matter what it was, it was going to be perfect. And that word perfect just kind of stuck out to me and hit me right in the face. So we waited on the Lord. <clears throat> waiting on the Lord brings us to um, developing our faith. And that's what really was, that, that was really the, the driving force that changed me, was that, that and the miracle of being alive. In his word, God shows us examples of waiting on his timing to fulfill his promises and plans for his children. Abraham was one of those examples. Um, I had someone that was calling me on a daily basis. And I, know, I think a lot of you know her, Jen Cowan, is good friends with my wife. So she was calling me by daily. And she was ministering to me on the phone. 
And her biggest, her biggest thing was Abraham. She kept explaining to me about Abraham. And uh, that, I'm telling you, that, that helped a lot. Because when I got home, I started reading about Abraham a little bit more too. Abraham was 85 years old and he had been walking with the Lord for 10 years. During this time, he learned a lot about having faith in God. He and Sarah were promised a child, but God had not told them when. And if we remember the accounts in the Bible, he never gives them a time period. Tells them it's going to happen, but never gives it to them. And then we know that Sarah went along and she tried helping God out a little bit, so she stepped in front of him, and that's, that even brought off more problems. But they did have a child finally. And in Hebrews 6, verse 12, it says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we can learn a lot from that, from the word of God, that we need to wait and wait on God. Waiting on God is a learning experience that will strengthen our faith in the future. It's hard to see that while we wait, but it's, not, it's a wonderful thing when God finally acts on his own timing. So it's, it's very difficult in the beginning. It was one of my most challenging things was waiting. After that, it was wonderful. <laughs> when I got home, I rapidly started getting better because I wasn't in that hospital atmosphere. And when that happened, I got rid of the walker, I got rid of the cane, and I was sitting at home one morning and the occupational therapist came over. And uh, Debbie happened to go out to, to the store, so she knocked on the door and I went to the door and I walked over and opened the door. And I had my pajamas on and robe and all that. And she says, are you Thomas Vasile? And I says, yeah. She says, you're not supposed to be walking around like that, are you? <laughs> I says, well, I am. And this was like maybe two weeks after I got home. And uh, she says, that's great. So she came in. She spent about 10 minutes with me, gave me some few, a few pointers. And she says, you don't need me. I'm going to sign off on you and let you go your own way. I says, okay, fine. And that's what happened. I mean, it was, just, it was just phenomenal. The nurse, one of the home nurses came over and she interviewed us. And uh, she says, I got to tell you, she says, I've never seen anybody recover so rapidly in all my days. She says, I've been a nurse for 30 years. And she says, I've never seen this. And she says she didn't understand it. Well, I understand it. My wife understands it. And we understand it. And we know that God was still working. And he is still working. Last Monday, I had my last biopsy. And in a biopsy, they, they take a piece of your heart and uh, they go into your artery and then take a piece of your heart and then they analyze it to make sure that there's no rejection. Because there's a lot of, a lot of that goes with a transplant is your rejection. 
And she, uh, the doctor called me two days later, and he, she said uh, she was giggling on the phone. Uh, I knew that in a minute because she was giggling. I was going to get some good news. So uh, she said, yeah, she says everything is just perfect. It's just perfect. It's 100%. She says, I, I really don't believe it myself, and some of the doctors at New York University don't understand it either. And I had a doctor, when we were being discharged, tell me that when we were leaving New York University. He says, we've never seen anybody recover so quick. And uh, he, he told me, he says, you must have been in good shape uh, before the operation. I said, yeah, sure, I was in good shape. <laughs> But it, it, it was just God. It was just all God. And it was just a confirmation that the, the good Lord just follows through. He not only does one thing, but he also follows through. And he's been following through since then. So it's been three months since uh, Wednesday. It was three months. And uh, he, he still follows through. It's, it's just amazing. So waiting on him was the biggest thing. It's important that we cooperate with him so the time spent waiting will prove productive and beneficial. God can use such holding patterns to reveal sinful behaviors or thinking and to develop new heart attitudes. So he did, he, he did, he did change my attitude. He really did. It was just a phenomenal thing. Waiting can also provide the opportunity to deepen our trust and dependence on him, which it did. And when we follow God's timetable, he gives us the grace to endure difficult situations and, conf and confidence and peace. And uh, waiting, waiting is a painful thing, but waiting is a, a learning thing. It, it, and, and we know that, and we just have to follow that. Psalm 135 and 6 say, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Uh, just to give you a little bit of an idea, Abraham waited over 10 years for a child. Moses waited 40 years to start his ministry. Joseph waited 13 years to become uh, second in command of Egypt. Paul waited 11 years to start his ministry. And, get this one, Jesus waited 20 years to start his ministry. So waiting isn't above and beyond the Bible. That's what we're taught, and that's what we should do. There's one last thing I want to say before we take communion. I did a little research on faith, too, and we know that faith in uh, Hebrews 11 gives us a good, uh, a, a good background about who was faithful and about faith in itself. But I took this quote from Charles Stanley from one of the books that I read for, of, of his. And it says, true faith is not just assurance in a certain outcome. Rather, it's absolute confidence in God's unfailing character and ability. 
regardless of the circumstances. Faith enables us to turn from the approval of the world and seek only the approval of God. And that makes a lot of sense. It doesn't make a difference what the outcome is going to be or the circumstances involved. It's whether or not we are faithful to his character and his ability and we believe in him. That's the biggest thing, is the belief. And that's just an awesome thing to believe. Uh, We're going to take communion. So if uh, everybody's ready, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we can uh, come up and get the elements, and then we'll take them all together. So, Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you that you have given us the ability to understand you and know you. Lord, you are so great, and you're so, so full of glory. Some full of mystery, but that's what makes it right. That's what produces our faith is your mystery because we believe in you and we love you so much. Lord, I thank you for all the folks that came here tonight and are watching on, on their uh, computers or TVs. And Lord, I pray that you abundantly bless them in their week, in their life, no matter what. Stay with them, keep them, Lord, and bless them every day. Reveal yourself to them, Lord, as you have to some of us. And we thank you and we appreciate you, Lord. We love you. And we can only hope that you come quickly and help us. Thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The night that he was betrayed and when he was gathered with his apostles and they were having the uh, Passover dinner, he took the time to not only wash their feet, but also to explain to them the new covenant, the new covenant of which he was going to fulfill that, those three days. <coughs> Excuse me. And he took bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to all his disciples, and he told them to take the bread and eat it, for this was his body that was going to be given up for that new covenant. And he asked them to remember him with that. So let's take the bread first. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks to the Father, as he usually did for everything, And he told them that this was his blood, the blood of the new covenant, the blood that was going to be shed for our sins to cleanse us as we believe in him and we trust in him. But he asked us to do this in remembrance of him. So we remember him, what what he's done, and we thank him so much because if he never did anything else in our life, but to die for our sins and bring us to heaven, that would be more than enough. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, and let's drink the cup. Jesus, we love you. God bless you all, and thank you for coming. In Jesus' name, amen.